Well, I thought about it while the young men were singing. There's a lot of worse things they could be doing, amen? And a lot of bad songs they could be singing, but by the grace of God, got them in a good church, got them involved in the work of God as young people, and be great if they could keep it up throughout life, amen? What a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm just uh, delighted to see it. It's a blessing. I was thinking while the brother was giving his testimony, he was talking about being tickled to death. I had a friend went uh, back behind the Iron Curtain uh, right after the wall came down. He was preaching. And he got up and uh, said to the congregation, of course, through an interpreter, he said, I am tickled to death to be here. And the interpreter kind of looked at him and he said to the congregation, a great bunch of people there, thousands of people there, he said, this guy wants us to come up here and scratch him till he dies. <laughs> So I don't think that's what we mean. You know, those little colloquialisms that we have, uh, they're a little bit different, amen. I appreciate it. I think I see Brother Sammy Allen back there. Bless his heart. It's good to see him. Appreciate him coming tonight and other folks that are here, visitors. Pray God would bless you and help you uh, in these few minutes that I think I'll be talking to you tonight. Now, the preacher told me today, I took the hint. He told me today, he said, on Wednesday night, we start at 7, get out at 8. And I'm thinking, well, it's not Wednesday night yet, thank God. <clears throat> but I'll make a valiant effort to do that tomorrow night. I, I'm going to try anyway. I do have my book table back there. I haven't mentioned it one time this week, I don't think. But uh, my there's three of my daily devotionals there. They're a good thing to give to young people uh, for graduation. Good thing to give for, to mother for Mother's Day. And a lot of other material back there that I won't take the time to talk about. I'm going to talk to you this evening about something that I think is pretty important. Some years ago, I was preaching out in uh, Boise, Idaho at a mission conference. They, uh, large church, I think it's the largest Baptist church in the state. They ran about 900 to 1,000 people. And I was preaching the mission conference. And... Uh, they had a thing in that church. They gave uh, three quarters of a million uh, to missions that particular year. And uh, they had gone over. Their goal was 750000 That's what their budget was. But they had taken in uh, $830,000. And so they had $80,000 extra in their mission fund. And what they would do in that church... Uh, they, the pastor got up, said, we've got $80,000 left over in our mission budget. And he said, we've got eight or ten missionaries, whatever they had here. And he said, I'd like the missionaries to come. Uh, we'll have a little meeting. And if you've got some special needs, we'd like to, and this is a term he used, we'd like to dump this $80,000 on you. And so there was one guy, he was in New Zealand. He needed uh, some songbooks. I gave him $3,000 for songbooks for 100 Songbooks that cost more about that much, it cost more to ship them than it did to buy them. And another guy needed a boat for his ministry. They gave him a boat. Uh, there was another guy that uh, he needed a pickup truck. They gave him ten thousand for the pickup, and so they gave the whole eighty thousand dollars away. So one afternoon in the meeting, they were uh, they said all the fellows that would like to go play golf, uh, we'll take you over to the golf course and you can play. So I don't mind playing golf for free, especially. 
And so we were playing golf. I was riding in the golf car. I didn't know it, but I was riding in the golf car with the richest guy in the church. And I don't know, it was fifth or sixth hole. He said to me, he said, well, what did you ask for in the dump? I said, I didn't ask for anything in the dump. He said, well, why not? He said, well, I'm not a missionary. I said, I didn't let the missionaries have that. They have needs. I said, I didn't go to the dump. And uh, so we played another two or three holes. And I said to him, just in jest, I said, you know what I should have done? He said, well, I said, I should have gone to that dump. I said, my wife needs a riding lawnmower. <laughs> now, my wife has never mowed the lawn one time in her life. That little princess has never uh, done the lawn at all. We had three boys, they did it, and now I'm stuck with the job. But I came to church that night, and that fella handed me nine $100 bills, and he said, buy your wife a riding lawnmower. So I went home, I bought a riding lawnmower, I think with tax, it cost a little bit more than that in the day. And so uh, I told my wife, I said, now honey, this man bought this thing for you, and to prove that we bought it, you're going to have to sit on it, and I'm going to take your picture and mail it to him. So she sat on it one time. That's the only time she's ever been on it in her life. And I took the picture and I mailed it to the guy. Well, that lawnmower has been probably the best lawnmower I ever had in my life. It ran just wonderful. Never had to do anything to it until last year. Last year, it wouldn't start. That's the first time. My neighbor lady, she's a widow woman. Uh, she's just about had to buy a brand new battery every year for her lawnmower. And she'd come over and and she'd kind of watch me, and I'd pull that thing out of the garage for the first time in the spring, and it'd crank right up. Well, last spring, it didn't, spr it didn't crank right up. And I, had, I took the battery, well, I took the filter off, I took this off, took that off, replaced a bunch of stuff. None, this still didn't work. Finally, to make a long story short, I had to go buy a battery. Battery for a lawnmower is $54. I couldn't hardly believe my eyes or ears when that said 54 bucks, I'm glad I took the old one back because they gave me $8 for that. I'm, I'm a cheapskate, I'll tell you that right now. I brought that thing back, it cranked up. And I learned, and I knew this, and you do too, that a battery has to have positive post and a negative post. Now I think, uh, I think a ministry ought to have a positive post and a negative post. I think a sermon ought to have some positives and some negatives in it. You know, if you just get negatives all the time, it'd be kind of discouraging. And if you got positives all the time, it'd be a Pollyanna Christianity, and there ain't nothing to that. You got to have both. And so I want to give you tonight a little bit of negative and a little bit of positive. And I learned this, too. It's best to give the positive last. And so I'm going to give you some negative things to consider tonight. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 1. We'll not get to that for a few minutes. I want to talk to you uh, and get to the little background, and I'll just talk it to you, and I, I think you'll get where I'm going. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for the blessings of God and the good spirit of the Lord that helps us along the way of life. We thank you for uh, folk coming out tonight. We pray that you'd bless them for their presence. I pray that, God, that you would help us, help me to convey what's in my heart to this congregation. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would do his office work in the hearts and lives of people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Samuel 15 is the story of Samuel's or Saul's partial 
obedience. And Samuel confronted him with that. You know the story. I I want you to think about this, especially young people tonight, that partial obedience to God constitutes disobedience. And Saul did not do what he was supposed to do with uh, the king of the Amalekites. That was a long-running battle that Israel had uh, with those people. Amalek had harassed Israel on their way to the promised land. That's recorded in Exodus chapter 17 and the last three verses. And now uh, Saul spares Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and he saves the best of the beast. You know that story. Then you get to chapter 28 and Saul is in a terrible predicament. He's facing uh, an army of enemy and uh, he can't get any direction from the Lord. There is no word from God at all that he can uh, uh, attain. And so he consorts with the witch of Endor. He is actually asking her for military advice. The witch of Endor is like the secretary of state. Now we had a witch that was secretary of state not too long ago, if my memory's right. And so you know how that came down. Samuel was resurrected, I think, and gave the remorseful message. He may have been been a familiar spirit, but I, I think because of the way the witch reacted that she actually got more than she bargained for. And Saul heard those words from Samuel. He said, today thou shalt be your sons and you will be here with me. And that was a terrible thing for him to hear. Uh, He falls out on the ground. The Bible says in verse number 20, he scrabbles along on the ground Here this man who was the mighty chieftain of Israel is now cowering in fear and his strength leaves him. In chapter number 30, he and his sons are killed. And we come to the story in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and just to save a little bit of time, in verse number 8, this young man is repeating uh, what Saul had said to him. And Saul asked him, he said in verse 8, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. Can you imagine what went through Saul's mind when he heard the nationality, the tribal affiliation of this young man? Here was a son of Amalek that God had told him earlier to completely destroy. But he didn't do it. He disobeyed God. And he said unto me again in verse 9, Stand, I pray thee upon me and slay me, for anguish has come upon me because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. This is one of the saddest statements, I think, in all of the book of God. And I took the crown that was upon his head. This boy, this young man, this young Amalekite took the crown from off the head of Israel's king. And of course, it cost this boy his life. 
The question that I would like to ask you tonight, I want you to notice in verse number six, the Bible says the young man, the young man, he was at uh, just a, a very youthful age. He was somebody that could have been handled very easily. He could have been wiped out earlier if Saul would obey God. My question to you tonight is very simple, and it is the construction of the message. Can you deal with your sin when it is full grown? You can handle a little baby sin, we think. And sometimes we coddle. And sometimes we caress. With that little baby sin, it's just a small thing. It's just a slight wavering from off of the path that I ought to follow as a child of God. Just a baby sin. Just a little thing. We pat it sometimes. We baby it. The prophecy in Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 20 was that Amalek should perish forever. I ask you tonight again, can you deal with your sin when it grows up? When the chickens come home to roost? When the wild oats that you've sown crop up in the field of your life? I want to be as evasive as possible. A good man, a deacon in a Baptist church, married, three boys, one night, one time, one slight dalliance. Forgot about it? Way in the past, 18 plus years later, a knock came at the door of his home. He opened the door and there stood an 18-year-old girl. He said, I've been looking for you for a long time, sir. My mother said, you are my father. Can you deal with your sin when it's all grown up and knocks at the front door of your life? Can you deal with it? Can, can you, that thing of the past that is gone in your life, Completely unconfessed. Thus, it's unforgiven. I don't know of a sin that Jesus' blood cannot forgive. Say blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. But I don't know of a sin that Jesus' blood or, or God will forgive unless you ask him to forgive it. If you confess it and forsake it, then we find mercy. And sometimes that grown-up sin shows up at a very inconvenient time in our lives. Can you, can you somehow change the heartbreak of your infidelity? I know you know your Bible. Your pastor teaches you well here. So I don't need to tell these stories in any length. David and Bathsheba. Can you deal with the consequences, David, of your immorality? And I don't, I don't think Bathsheba was an innocent victim. I don't think David was innocent in what was going on. I think they were both adults. They both knew what they were doing. 
That baby was born. That baby died. Cost Uriah his life. All the intrigue, all the tragedy that took on. I Listen, God, help us tonight. You need to thoroughly repent and garner God's forgiveness for your sins. I don't encourage people. Your pastor and I talked about this a little bit one day this week. I, I don't encourage people to... Uh, uh, spread their dirty laundry out in front of everybody. I believe in taking it to Jesus and getting it under the blood and getting it behind you and getting beyond it. I used to be the police chaplain, one of three police chaplains, chaplains, I should say, in Lansing, Michigan for about five years. And I remember one day, make a long story short, I got a call to go up to the hospital. I walked into the hospital. Two or three cops were there. They say, uh, the lady's in that room over there. I said, what happened? Said, well, sh- she was in an automobile accident early this morning and her husband was killed in the wreck and we'd like to have you go in and uh, break the news to her. What a wonderful joy and a privilege that was. Now I remember walking, I was just a kid. I was 35 years of age or so. I might be able to do it better now than I did then, but I think it hurt more now than it did then too. But I remember walking to that room. That lady was there. She had tubes and wires. You know all about hospital rooms, emergency rooms. And I walked into that room and I said to that lady, I'm Chaplain Green uh, with the Lansing Police Department. And it's my duty to inform you, ma'am, and I'm sorry to have to say it, but your husband was killed in the wreck early this morning. She looked at me. She could talk, kind of wild-eyed. She said, sir, my husband was not killed in that wreck. And I thought to myself, we didn't even use this kind of terminology back then. But if we put it in modern day language, I, I would have thought she's in denial. She's just denying what happened. She said, no. She said, sir, my husband uh, did not die in that wreck. I said, ma'am, yes, he did. Uh, he is dead. He's in the morgue right now. He's dead. She said, you don't understand. She says, I was out with my boyfriend last night. The man that was killed in that wreck was not my husband but he was my boyfriend. She said, do you have any idea what I'm going to tell my husband? How can I tell my husband? I'm going to tell you something. I I didn't know what to tell her then, and I don't know what to tell her tonight. Can you deal with your sin when it grows up? And you have to face it. You have to deal with it. And it comes crashing into our lives. I remember a preacher came to my father's church many years ago. He told this story of a young girl in his church. She uh, was getting married and they put the advertisement in the paper and uh, there was an advertisement of when the bridal shower would be and all of that stuff. And so it was the day of her bridal shower and an old boyfriend from the past called her up and said, I hear you're getting married this weekend. She said, yes. Said, uh, I hear that... uh, uh, you're having a bridal shower. She said, oh, yes, it's tonight. He said, uh, uh, do you think maybe tomorrow we could go out for a cup of coffee or something? And foolish as she was, she said, okay. And they went out for a cup of coffee and sat across the table. And before the morning was over, they had slipped into a hotel room and spent the night together, excuse me, the day together or a few hours together. One last thing before the wedding over the weekend. She became expectant. She said to her pastor, what am I going to do? 
How am I going to tell my husband? He said, young lady, I don't know how to tell your husband, but I do know how to tell Jesus. How do you tell the husband? Can you deal with the fruit of your infidelity? Can you live with the words that you've spoken? I'll just mention these. I don't have to go into detail. Jephthah. Now, Lord, I'm going to go off to a big battle here. And if you'll give me victory, whatever comes walking out of my house first, I will sacrifice that to you. I don't know if they lived with chickens and cows in their house. Doesn't make a lick of sense to me to say that. But they go out and God gives the victory and Jephthah comes home. He lifts the latch on the picket fence, starts to walk down the sidewalk to the house and out running from his home is his little daughter. And to be good to his word, you know the end of that story. Can you live with the words that fall from your lips? You know, sometimes we say things that hurt other people deeply. Someone said years ago, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I guarantee whoever wrote that little ditty was not married. Every once in a while, we say some things we ought not to say to the one that loves us the most. Can you live with the words? What about Herod? Hey, it's my birthday. I'm going to invite all my buddies over for a big party. My uh, wife that I'm living with, you know, I shouldn't be. She's my brother's wife, but I'm hooked up with her now. I'm married to her now. We'll have her daughter come out and dance. That'll be great. Boy, old Salome comes out there. God only knows what she was wearing, if she was wearing anything. She came out there and danced. It pleased those licentious, wicked men down to the depths of their depraved hearts. And Herod said, I tell you, girl, I'll give you up to the half of my kingdom. What do you want? Out of her lips came the truth. I, my mother, I'm my mother. I want, I want John Baptist's head on a charger. And Herod, because of his buddies. You ever say anything because of your buddies? Can you live with the consequences of the words that you've spoken? Can you live with the consequences of your disobedience? What about Ananias and Sapphira? What about Jonah? I don't have to tell those stories. You know those stories. There was a great evangelist in our country in a bygone day. I met his wife many, many years ago. She, uh, was a, she worked at uh, Myrtle at Camp Zion. Her husband had long passed. He used to tell this story. He used to tell about a little gal who had, her and her husband had had some problems in that part of the country. And she had a little girl about three or four years of age. And she left her husband. And she was going to this state, Georgia, uh, to go back to mother and for whatever reason, to get away from him or to make him feel bad or let him know that he wasn't boss, whatever was her motivation. Back long time ago, back in the 30s, and she got in her little car and there was not hotels on every 
corner. There wasn't a McDonald's anywhere. There wasn't a place to eat. She got a, a little bit of sweet milk and a little bit of buttermilk and she got some cornbread and some light bread. She had a little bit of stuff to put on it and they packed that in the car and started across the southern tier of the United States from Mississippi to Alabama and into Georgia. She had been driving for several days, uh, sleeping in the car most of the time. It was pouring down rain uh, one day. She began to look as she drove down the little two-lane roads headed for Mama. She got to looking for a place perhaps that they could spend the night out of the car and out of the weather. So she began to look for uh, houses that were empty, appeared to be empty. She drove by one. The weeds were up in the yard. Uh, looked like windows were broken out. She drove past it slowly, went down to a lane, turned around, came back, drove up into that driveway. Uh, the door was half off the hinges. The roof had holes in it in bad shape. She hellowed the house like people did in those days. And of course, there was no answer from that empty house. She gathered her little daughter up in the meager fare that they had, went into that house through the pouring rain, got in there, found a dry spot, laid a blanket down. They had a little bit of food to eat and it, it turned dark, turned night. That little gal, three years old or so, she would whimper and cry and whimper and cry. Her mother a little exasperated and of course the, the trauma of the situation leaving her husband and all those difficulties. She, uh, she said, no honey, I can't take this crying. You've got to stop. Uh, we, we can't take that. And so the little girl would quiet down. She'd stop and then a little time would go. And I don't know if I, listen, I'm 68 years old. If the preacher put me up in an abandoned house this week, the roof was off, the doors were off, and I was there all alone. I'd be scared to death too. I'll just be frank with you. And matter of fact, I got a credit card. I'd have probably snuck out and went to a hotel. And I'd be there every morning when he come up to pick me up. Oh, yes, I've had a wonderful night, Pastor. It's been great. And she watched that little baby and that little gal would cry and whimper, and she'd quiet her down, quiet her down. And in that house, there was an old, old uh, closet door. You know, the kind they'd come together in the middle and they open like that and they go into the walls. My grandparents had uh, closets like that and doors like that that went to the room. Call them pocket doors, I believe. And she said to that little girl, she said, now, honey, if you don't stop, I'm going to put you in that closet and I'm going to close those doors. That little three-year-old girl, she looked in that closet. She looked at her mama. <laughs> she said, I don't want to go in there. And she kept quiet for a while, but then she started to whimper and cry again. And mother, I think a little exasperated and surely exhausted and the trauma of the day, she gathered up that little girl in that blanket and she put her in that closet and she closed the door. That little girl screamed and cried. She screamed and cried. Her cries became just whimpers and finally silence. Her mother had gone off to sleep herself and figured that her little daughter had gone to sleep. Early the next morning, she awakened Remembered that she had put the little girl in the closet. She went over there and opened that closet door. And when she did to her, her eternal shock, she saw the body of her little girl laying there and two giant rattlesnakes coiled one at her head and one at her feet. That little baby had been killed in the night. Can you deal with the consequences of your disobedience? I say to you, repent. 
Why in the world would a child of God live with things that God might pardon versus the things you know he will reward? If you're trying to see what you can get away with as a child of God, instead of doing that which is right, our book is very plain. To obey is better than sacrifice. And be sure. Don't second guess it. Don't think you're special. That verse is for everybody else. Be sure your sin will find you out. Finally, and positively, can you capitalize on a life of consecration to Jesus Christ? Can you garner, can you cash in, can you receive the commendation as a child of God of doing what is right? An old preacher told this story. There was a widow woman in Virginia She was a washerwoman, very, very poor. She loved God. One day she got a letter in the mail, said that she was an heir to an estate of $500. To her, that was a fortune. She went to the attorney's office. The situation was settled, and she got her check for $500. She said to the attorney, what do you think I ought to do? He said, ma'am, perhaps the safest thing for you to do is to go to the bank and put it in the bank. So she went to the banker and she spoke to the president of the bank and he said, yes, that's a good thing to do. Put this $500 in here. And matter of fact, we will pay you interest every month of 83 cents. Now you may be sitting here tonight thinking that 83 cents for $500 is not very much money. If you're thinking that tonight, you don't have any money in a savings account today. I have a savings account that has almost $2,000 in it. I very seldom put anything in it. I very seldom take anything out. I think there's $1,800 in that savings account. I got my statement last week, $1,800 in the bank I made last month 17 cents. I get 0.00005. I don't get very much money. And if you got better investments down here, let me know and I'll transfer that 1800 bucks down here. Boy, she thought that would be wonderful, that 83 cents. Now she always had on her heart, she went to church like you good folk do. Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning. She always prayed. She always, when they asked for prayer requests, she'd raise her hand and say, pray for my boys out west. They had a revival meeting at their church. She attended nightly. They would ask for prayer requests. Uh, She would say, my boys, my boys out west. The evangelist got up the first night of the meeting and he made the statement. He said, folks, uh, God has called me to leave evangelism. God wants me to go out to Colorado and start a church. And soon as the Lord supplies me with $500, I'm going to do what I believe God would have me to do. That little widow woman sitting in that church, a light bulb went off. I got $500 I could give that preacher. And so she went to the bank the next morning. She said to the banker, I'd like to get my $500 out of the bank. He said, well, why? 
She told him why. He said, oh, ma'am, please don't take it all. I, you know, I, listen, don't be foolish. I'm a man of faith myself. He said, what you probably could do, I'll advance you the 83 cents that you would have gotten this month, and you could give that to him, but don't give it all to that preacher. She said, well, you know, you might be right. And so the banker gave her the 83 cents. She didn't feel all that good about it. She uh, went to church that night. She gave that evangelist 83 cents, but the joy bells weren't ringing down in the depths of her soul. She wasn't overly happy. She went to bed that night. She felt worse. One o'clock in the morning, she rolled out of bed. She got down on her knees, asked God to forgive her for her disobedience. The next morning, she was at the bank before the bank president was. He came in, unlocked the door, I should say. They both walked in. He said, what are you doing here this morning? Said, well, I, I want my $500. Well, what do you want it for now? Same as I wanted it yesterday. He started with the same story. Don't be foolish. She said, hold it, sir. Is that money mine or is that money yours? She got her money. She went home to the washboard singing the songs of Zion. She had done what God had told her to do. She went to church that night, gave the evangelist the $500. And this is an unusual thing. The evangelist was good to his word. He quit the meeting and went out west. He was an honest evangelist, hard to find in this day and age. He went out to Colorado. He rented him a building. He started a mission. The very first service they had on a Sunday morning, two boys come into town with gold dust and gold nuggets in their pockets, coming to have a good time. They were walking into town one of them turned to the other and he said, John, what is that that I'm hearing right now? His brother said to him, well, that's mother's favorite song. Let's go in there, said the other. He said, no way. There's religion in there. We don't want anything to do with that. They stood outside a while. They couldn't resist. They walked in there, those two miners, dusty and dirty uh, from the mines. They heard that old familiar tune and its penetrating words that affected their heart. Tears began to roll down their dusty stained cheeks. One of them said to the other, ain't that the sweetest sound you ever heard? The preacher said, could I help you boys? They said, well, we'd like to have you sing that same song over again if you would. Those two miners, they sang it for them. Those two miners sat through the service. That faithful preacher stood in the pulpit and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Down the aisle after the service was over, those two boys came. Both of them got saved that morning. When they had gotten converted, they stood up and talked to the pastor. They said, where did this mission come from? The pastor said, well, you are the first two converts we've ever had. This is our first service. He said, there was a lady by the name of Mrs. So-and-so, and they called her name, and uh, said in such and such a town back in Virginia, those two boys looked at each other, same town as our hometown, same name as our mother's name. The one looked at the other and said, John, there must be our mother. There can't be two women with the same name in that little town back home. They went the next morning, Monday morning, they bought train tickets headed east. It took them a few days to get back home. They walked down the little dusty street in that little village. They stepped across uh, the little picket fence they went to the backyard. There was her mother in her, up to her elbows in soap suds singing the songs of Zion and the praises of God. 
They kind of snuck up behind their mother like boys would do. And they said, Mother, how are you doing? Oh, 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 she said, boys, what in the world? I, it's so, I'm so glad you're here. He's, they said, we heard about you giving away $500. What's the story behind that? Did you give money to some preacher? Oh, she said, boys, I, I'm sorry. I know I could have. It's your inheritance. I probably should have. They picked her up. They passed her back and forth to one another. They carried her through the old country town, shouting and praising God, shouting and praising God, thanking God that mother had invested the $500 that helped bring them into the kingdom of God. Oh, can you live with the receipts of right living? They far outweigh, oh, the cost and the consequences of sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Oh, my goodness. I could tell you. I t- last summer, my dad, <coughs> my dear dad, he asked me about, I don't know, a little over a year ago. He said, Tim, I- I'd like to have you buy the family cottage up north in Michigan. I said, well, I really need it like, I, like a hole in the head. You know, and so we made a contract and everything got worked out, had a real estate guy do it, so it was done legal with the state of Michigan. And they gave me terms that I could hardly refuse. I pay them whatever I want to whenever I can, and so it's pretty easy. But my dad forgot to tell me about uh, you got to heat that place all winter. You got to pay the taxes on it twice a year. You got to take care of all the upkeep. He, he forgot, he left all that out. We went up there, my wife and I, I tell you, some of my family, some of my nephews and nieces and nuisances, they, they, they thought grandpa's place up there was a good place for them to dump all their junk. My wife and I, and I took a preacher and his wife up there with me. We took, the very first week we went up there, we took out of that place 10 pickup trucks loaded like the Beverly Hillbillies with junk in that we took some of it to the dump and we took some of it to the resale store and just gave it to them. Got rid of the junk. The last day we were there, we were getting ready to leave. And my father told me, he said, I just spent $4,000, put a new septic system in it, put a new drain field in it. You won't have any trouble with that. The last hours that we were there, it all backed up. I called a number of a place that does that kind of work. I'm on the telephone with the guy. And uh, in the course of the conversation, he said, this would be $255 for us to come. I said, well, we got to have it done. He said, where is this place? I gave him the address. He said, what did you say your name was? I said, my name's Tim Green. He paused a moment. He said, you're not Dr. Don Green's son, are you? I said, yes, sir, I'm, a, I'm his oldest son. He paused a moment on the other end of the line. He said, 35 years ago, I was a 16-year-old boy. You preached a revival at the Wolverine Baptist Church in Wolverine, Michigan. And I walked the aisle and I got born again. He said, I'll be there before noon. And he was. 
and he solved the problem. He fixed it, and something was done wrong, and he fixed that. He got ready to leave. I said to him, I said, now, it was $255, right? He said, no. He said, I got a job over at a Catholic church this week later. He said, I think the Pope's got more money than any preacher I know. I'm just going to tag your bill on to the Pope's. <laughs> the blessings. The, can you live with the rewards of doing what's right? Amen. He left a great big wrench about that long at the house. I called him up real quick. I called his, his name was Jay. I said, Jay, I think you left a big wrench here. He said, I'll be right back. He came back. And I stood out there at the road so he wouldn't have to waste a lot of time. He had more, more work today to go rip them Catholics off. And, uh, and, and, and I handed it to him. He said, i got to tell you something, Al. I didn't know this. I didn't know any of this. He said, you know, I moved to Lansing. I said, you did? He said, yeah. He said, the second week I was there, I went to your father's church on a Sunday morning. I said, you did? He said, yes. He said, uh, he got in that kind of business that he was still in. He was running the business now, but... And up north, but he said, he said, I was sitting there in church that Sunday morning. Your dad took up the offering. And he said, uh, as he was get, taking up the offering, he said, now, you know, it's more, it's a good thing to sacrifice. Sacrifice is a wonderful thing. He said, now, there's somebody here today that ought to sacrifice. If you'll sacrifice today and give, I'm going to pray that God will bless you fourfold. He said, preacher, I had $400 in my pocket, four $100 bills. That was half of my uh, rent, $800 a month rent. And this is the term he used. I don't even know what it means. He said, so rather snarkily, I, don't, I think that's a negative term, but I don't, I don't know what that means. He said, rather snarkily, I threw those four $100 bills in the offering plate. He said, I got home about 12.30 for lunch, and we're sitting there, and he said, telephone rang. He said, my boss was on the other end of the line. He said, I only worked there two weeks. He said, Jay, he said, you've been a good worker, man. You've done great this week. He said, tomorrow there'll be a little bonus in your box at work. He said, I went into work the next day. I got that envelope, opened it up, and there was a bonus of $1,600. I said to him, I bet you're still tithing and giving, ain't you? Can you live with the consequences of doing wrong? When those things grow and grow and grow. You know, it's easy to whip a little baby. Maybe that I'm not talking about literally whipping them. But it's easy to whip a little. You could handle a little baby. You, you could wrestle around a little baby and get it. But I tell you, when that thing's a seven-foot giant. Or when it's as tall as this building. That sin, that sin, that unconfessed sin. Those things we don't get right. It gets as large. It looms in our path. And we try to make a little spiritual headway. And it comes across the memory screen of our mind. And we see it. And we just slough it off. And we just put it behind us. That's not the thing to do. The thing to do is take it to Jesus. And get it right. And surely you can live with the blessings of doing what you ought to do. Brother Sammy Allen's here tonight. He knows this man. He's the best friend I ever had in America. Kid I went to school with all the way through. Al Van Buren. Al on his deathbed. He did a whole lot more for me than just this. I led him to Christ in 1976. Took him to Myrtle, Mississippi. Lost boy. 
got him saved in 1976. He died on Christmas morning, 1999, at 50 years of age, just a young man. He laid there on his deathbed, and he said to his wife, he said, Janice, won't you buy Tim a brand new car? He died Christmas Day. A couple, three weeks later, we went up to Lansing to see Janice and, of course, see my family and try to comfort her. She said, come on, I won't go for a ride. We went over to Carlot. Her brother worked at a Toyota place. I wish he'd have worked at a Cadillac place or a BMW <laughs> place or a Mercedes. But they wheeled out a brand new Toyota Avalon. It's a, it's, it's a poor man's Lexus is what it is. I've had that car now for 17, 18 years. I'd never sell it. One of these days, I'll probably sit out in the backyard with the wheels off and just cry. But I'd never sell that car. You say, How, what, what are you trying to say, preacher? I reached a guy with the gospel. Amen. And God's blessed me with a car I've been driving for 17, 18 years now. God will take care of you if you do right. He'll bless you if you do right. You say, well, I like, I like my sin. I like this. I, friend, you need to get right with God. Period. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. You need to come tonight and get in this altar about what God is dealing with you about. Would you stand to your feet all over this congregation? Would you come? Would you come? Come and bring it to Jesus. Don't tell, we don't tell a priest. We don't tell priest, we tell Jesus, the great high priest. We take it to him. You got something in your life that continuously beats you up spiritually? Come and take care of it tonight. Come and get it behind you. Get past it, get through it. Get it beyond you. Would you do it? Would you do it? Children? Is it just children that need to come tonight? I guess their heart's tender. You know, I talk to little kids, come forward, they say, well, I sassed my mama. Or I uh, took the cookies out of the cookie jar. You know, egregious sins. They're sensitive. You know the problem with some of us old heads? We're anything but sensitive. We become solidified in our iniquity. No preacher's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to go the way I want to go and do what I want to do. That's a terrible place to get to as a child of God. God help us to be humble. God help us to be submissive. God help us to be yielding to Him and His will. If you're not saved tonight, you ought to get saved. If you're not right with God, you ought to get right with God. It's that simple tonight. Go ahead and sing a verse or two of this old song, would you?